Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, April 20th. We begin with an update on the deadliest mass shooting in our nation's history. Sarah Ritchie, reporter for Global News Halifax in New Brunswick, brings us the latest information on the Portapique, Nova Scotia tragedy. Then we speak with a longtime resident of Nova Scotia who lives in the area where the deadly attacks occurred over the weekend. Paula Degu paints a picture on how a quiet, tight-knit community has been turned upside down by the violent acts that took place. Next, we get local reaction from a woman who suffered a great loss due to the shooting in Nova Scotia. Shelley McLean received word yesterday that three family members had been killed during the deadly attacks. And finally, making the best of a tough time, we catch up with the operations manager of Calgary's Owl's Nest Books to talk about how the store has changed its business model to continue putting books in readers' hands during the pandemic. It is 6.09 on the morning news and the numbers are staggering. 16 people killed and the gunman behind the mass shooting himself in Portapik, Nova Scotia. Details still unfolding of this deadly event. We're joined now by Sarah Ritchie, anchor and reporter for Global News, Halifax and New Brunswick. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Tell us about the the, the, uh, the feeling in the Maritimes at this point. We're feeling the uh, you know tragedy across the entire nation. Uh, what does it feel like to be in the Maritimes at this point? You know, I think a lot of us are waking up in a state of shock and disbelief. This is a quiet part of the country, a part of the country that prides itself on being friendly and welcoming to tourists and to come to grips with the idea that we are now the site of the worst mass shooting in modern Canadian history, I think is going to take a lot of time for a lot of people. And there are a lot of families who are grieving today. Sarah, can you give us a little bit of a timeline of of what happened and how it all started Saturday night? Yeah, absolutely. This started, as you mentioned, Saturday night. So at around 11 o'clock in the village of Portapique, Nova Scotia, so that's about an hour and a half outside of Halifax, just near the Bay of Fundy. At about 11 o'clock, locals there say they heard gunshots. They saw a couple of houses on fire, maybe as many as three house fires. Obviously, that started a huge police operation. It also kicked off a manhunt that would go on more than 12 hours, cover more than 100 kilometers of ground, and leave crime scenes all over rural Nova Scotia. We know as of today that at least 16 people are dead, but as of late last night, RCMP were telling us they were still finding crime scenes, still finding bodies. It's unclear exactly how many people uh, may have been impacted. We're hopeful, of course, that this is the last death total we're going to get. Um, This all ended in Enfield, Nova Scotia. So that's about a half hour outside of Halifax at a gas station where the shooter was actually shot dead by police at about just before noon on Sunday. So as I mentioned, a massive uh, scope, a massive scale here, not only in terms of how many people died, but also how long this took, how much ground it covered, and just how huge the investigation is going to be. Sarah, the shooter alleged to be uh, Gabriel Wartman. We understand he's a denturist by trade, but we're hearing more and more details about how he masqueraded as an RCMP officer. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, perhaps the most disturbing thing about this story, if you can say that, is that at one point, RCMP put out a notice to the public that he was driving what looked like an RCMP cruiser. This is a vehicle that we believe he may have bought as surplus uh, from the RCMP. They do occasionally auction off vehicles, and then he mocked it up to look like a cruiser. He put 
uh, decals all over it, including numbers. He was also wearing what looked like an RCMP uniform. So the why and the how of all of that, we still don't know. What it does tell RCMP at this point and what they are willing to say about it is that it suggests at least some level of planning went into this. So in terms of his motive, that's still very unclear, but it does seem that he at least planned parts of it, although police also note that some of the victims appear to have been targeted randomly. They have no connection to Wartman at all. And so all of this just compiles a, a very difficult, obviously very complex investigation. Mm-hmm. We saw pictures of the vehicle and boy, it looks like you would you would never know that it's not an RCMP vehicle. So uh, no wonder he mm-hmm. was able to you know go about doing what he did to start things off. What's the status of the investigation itself now, Sarah? Just in its very early stages here. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, late last night, RCMP updated the death toll, which means that between their news conference at 6 o'clock and that update, which came at a, around 10 or 11 uh, Atlantic time, they found more crime scenes and more bodies. Um, so they're still out searching to make sure that they have found every crime scene that was left behind in all of this and then they have the difficult work of trying to determine how and why all of this happened the serious incident response team here in nova scotia is involved in the investigation because wartman was shot dead by police uh rcmp as well it's worth noting are in mourning today uh one of their own was killed in the line of duty constable heidi stevenson she was a 23 year veteran of the force she was a wife a mother to two a uh, second RCMP officer was shot, but he is expected to survive. So the force is grieving one of its own and also trying to put together the pieces of something that is just unimaginable. Again, the names of the victims, and as you mentioned, Sarah, is still unfolding, and fingers crossed there are no more victims. Uh, besides uh, Constable uh, Heidi Stevenson, we're hearing that there was a school teacher as well that is one of the victims at this point. Yeah, DeBert Elementary School teacher Lisa McCulley. She taught grade 3-4 at that little tiny school in a very rural part of the province that's very close to port pic uh, We don't know her connection to uh, Wartman at this point, if she has one. We're not clear on that. We're also not clear on exactly who else is involved in terms of victims, but we are starting to see families, you know, posting on social media. There are some GoFundMe pages starting to pop up. Our team is working to confirm the identities of those involved. But we do know, um, you know, countless families across this province are in grieving today. And it's worth pointing out as well that this is all happening in the backdrop of a provincial emergency, a worldwide emergency. We have this coronavirus pandemic, which is preventing us from gathering in groups mm. larger than five. It's preventing us from grieving in the way that we normally would. And, you know, I talk about the RCMP in mourning. This area of the country has seen more than its fair share of regimental funerals in the last several years. And, you know, I think back to what happened in Moncton uh, and that regimental funeral was so important to the community and to the force in healing and as well in Fredericton after the shooting there. Um, That's not likely to be possible. So all of this is just compounding to make it, you know, an incredibly difficult time. Sarah, I lived in Moncton for a couple of years, so I I kind of understand what it's like with these, you know, these small communities. Talk to us. See if you can, can you paint a bit of a picture? I mean, these are small towns with very few people in them. A lot of people, they know each other, they're related to each other, and they will be reeling about this situation for a long time to come. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Portapic, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but Portapic has about 100 year-round residents. It gets about 250 people there during the tourist season in the summertime. This is a really small part of the country. You really can't uh, overestimate just how close connected people are. We um, did hear yesterday from the councillor for the area, and, and he mentioned that you know everybody there knows everyone. They don't necessarily know each other well. He said he personally didn't know Wartman well, but had come across him, had interacted with him, obviously. Um, you know, the, the grief is just going to ripple through these communities. You think about a, a teacher involved in all of this, an RCMP officer. RCMP officers and teachers are, are huge parts of their communities. So there are so many people, you know, children, um, loved ones, family members that are affected by this and just trying to deal with the, the grief and the the absolute disbelief that this has happened. Sarah, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. That is Sarah Ritchie, anchor and reporter for Global News, Halifax and New Brunswick. A shooting spree that started in the quiet Nova Scotia town of Portapique yesterday or Sunday, turning uh, Saturday night, excuse me, turned into Canada's worst, claiming 16 lives plus the shooter. The area has been rocked by the terrifying event. It started Saturday night. It finished more than 12 hours later. Joining us this morning is a woman who lives in the nearby town of Belmont, Paula Digu. Hi, Paula. How are you this morning? Good morning. Not too bad. Uh, I'm sure it's just a, been just a horrible weekend for you, and we thank you for joining us to talk about what has happened in your area. First of all, you know, our love and our strength goes out to you and all of your neighbours. I know how tightly knit small communities in the Maritimes are. Paula, did you know any of the victims involved? I did. And are we hearing any more about the numbers? I, we talked to a reporter earlier this morning who said it looks like they are still finding more victims and more crime scenes. They are. They don't really know um, what is all out there. Um, they may be on top of it by now. Um, the news here is pretty tight. They don't say too much. Um, they have recognized two people one the RCMP officer and one a school teacher from DeBert. Uh, other than that, nothing. I see lots on Facebook of names of, of people. But this man, he drove over 100 kilometers. And in the night, you don't know where he went and what he did. And so this is what they're, I think they're trying to find out. Um, I hear a lot of rumors. You don't know what's true and what's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I know, I know 11 names that uh, are mostly in the Debur area of people that have been killed. A whole family, a mom, a dad, a 17-year-old daughter, people walking down the street shot dead. Scary stuff, Paula. And, uh, you know, so many details. We don't know when we'll get even every answer out there. Uh, But you do know the area. So I'm wondering if you can paint a picture of this area, a particular area of Nova Scotia, what it's like and what the people are like who live there. Yes. Um, It started in Portapique, which would be about a half-hour drive from me. Lots of my friends have cottages down in that area. Uh, it's along the Bay of Funday um, near the end, which would be Truro, and they call it the Minas Basin. Um, just little comfy cottages tucked in there. 
they watch the tide come in twice a day and go out twice a day. Um, very popular. Portapique, maybe have about 100 people uh, during the winter, but it triples and quadruples in the summer. Uh, very just windy rogue. And pe- people know each other in that area, don't they, and, Paula? And people know each other. And in Portapique, well, the people from Onslow, Belmont, um, Masstown, DeBert, so many have cottages out that way. All families, so many families have lived here forever. Um, they have their children. Their children stay. They have their children, grandma, grandpas, uncles. Kids go to school with their cousins. Um, just everybody knows everybody. And so all, all those towns you mentioned, Paula, too, those are all affected by what appears to be se- crime scenes in all of those areas. Pretty much, yes. Yes. Um, now that this happened about around 11 o'clock that first night. I can't even remember the days, the 18th. I should know that. That was my birthday. Um, It started that night. I didn't hear about it until first thing in the morning. But So during the night, the man left Portapique area, left three cottages burning, uh, lots of shots, uh, been heard from the community. So where he went during the night, I don't know. I heard he went as far as our ski hill Wentworth in the valley and I heard someone was killed there too but I can't confirm that mm-hmm. then he came back down through and got into DeBert and these are kind of all back roads and that's where the majority of the big shootings started uh, people just walking down the street in their yards mm-hmm. he must have been into homes um, we just don't know because no information has come out. Uh, the Burr is, um, used to be a, a large military base during World War II. It was, it had, um, thousands of people living there. Now they're down to maybe under two, 2,000 people live there now. And then Town, he didn't come through Mass town which would be on the main street mm-hmm. from DeBert but the people that were in Portapic were from Mass Town. And you know, we have a couple of churches. We have a, a rink, we have a fire volunteer fire department. Um we have a nice big market. We have a hardware store. Not a Nothing place big. not a place you'd expect something like this to happen, is it? Not at all. Not at all, you know. We just lived such a quiet life. We moved from Langley, B.C. over 27 years ago. We wanted to be in the country. And so we've lived here for the past 27 years. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. And if there is, everybody's there to help. It's the kind of community that just pitches right in. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, where the suspect had traveled through the region. Uh, do, you, do we know anything about the suspect? Have you heard anything about him? Because, like you say, it's a tight-knit community. Is anything known well, about uh, Gabriel Morbin? 
Well, he isn't from here. Originally, I believe he's from Moncton, and he has a denturous business. I heard Dartmouth for sure. I was, I'm was i not sure about Halifax, but somebody did mention he had a an office there. Um, he's a stranger to any of us. But he did have those two or three uh, cottages down in Portapique, but for how long in that... And who he knows, I have no idea. Well, we thank uh, you. So- I've heard he was a, a wonderful man to uh, do a lot of good things in Halifax and, and Dartmouth, but I've never heard of him before. I guess we'll wait and hear from the police as to any further information about him and perhaps a motive of, of why why he did what he did. We thank you so much for joining us, Paula. Okay, well, thank you for having me, and um, hopefully this will all be over and forgotten to a point where we can get on with our lives hard with the Corbett um, isolation and that you can't mm-hmm. even go see him you can't hug them you can't do anything so I'm that's sure. another that's another story so difficult we thank you and our hearts yeah. go out to you thanks so much for for painting a picture of your beautiful area in Nova Scotia for us okay thank you thanks so much that's Paula Degu, who is a resident of Belmont Nova Scotia 748 investigators still trying to piece together what led to the weekend shooting rampage that killed 16 victims in Nova Scotia this weekend. Joining us now is Calgarian Shelley McLean, who lost three family members in that shooting spree. Hi, Shelley. Hi. First of all, we're so sorry for your loss. I mean, obviously devastating for your family. Your understanding at this point is that your cousin Aaron and his family were all killed. Yes, that's correct. Wow. I mean, how did you how did you find out the news? Are the are the police getting in touch with the families, or did you have someone, a relative from down in the Maritimes, let you know? Uh, someone from down in the Maritimes had let us know last night at about eleven o'clock. And Shelley, uh, you, you get that info. Uh, you know, you you gather your family around. Uh, you know, wh- what does that look like? Uh, it looks horrible because you want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able to go in a time like this is. It's really difficult because um, it's such a tight community. Everybody just wants to come together, something like this. And your cousin Aaron, he had a bit of a Calgary connection, didn't he? He did, actually. It's a quite a unique story. Uh, Aaron, um, Jolene, his wife, is actually from Calgary, um, and they met here and moved back there and have been together for 23 years. Right into port pic where the shooting originally started. Correct, yeah. Sadly, yeah. Have you spent time out there? Uh, not in that community, no. Uh, but I do have family in Truro and stuff, so I've spent time in those areas. And I'm from Sydney, so uh, definitely in Sydney. We're hearing time and time again when we've uh, heard stories from those areas, uh, how tight-knit each community mm-hmm. is, how many families know uh, knowing uh, one another is, is commonplace for neighbours. Absolutely, yeah. And if you didn't know them directly, you knew them indirectly, just from shopping or, or you know, the local pharmacy or something. <laughs> How are your family doing down there in the Maritimes and, and you know, what happens next for them? Uh, I mean, everybody is just, you know, completely consumed in grief and sadness. Um, I mean, at, at this point, I just know from being down there that everybody's definitely coming together in a sense of support. And, of course, um, there'll probably definitely be lots of kitchen gatherings and lots of uh, sharing stories of memories of the, of the family. And adding to the grief, as you mentioned, you can't hop on a plane and head to Nova Scotia. And and if you were in Nova Scotia with COVID-19, this is just, you know, comp- uh, you know, one thing after another, the different layers. You couldn't mm-hmm. even go to the aid of somebody, even if they were in hospital, for example. 
No, absolutely not. And I mean, with that, they're, again, with the whole community, they, they would figure out a way how to, you know, use technology to come together or uh, certainly stay within the rules and guidelines and still be able to support each other. Is your family, uh, are they, I assume, rallying around each other and, and just, you know, waiting for any further news from the police? Because this investigation, it sounds like it, it's continuing that there may even be more victims. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, the saddened part is, is, I mean, everyone's looking for a motive. I mean, at this point, it's just, let's find the victims and, and you know, have, help the families. Shelly, our thoughts are with you and your family. Um, devastating you so news this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. That is Calgarian Shelley McLean, who has lost family members in the deadliest shooting in Canada's history in Portapique, Nova Scotia. 8-11 on your Monday morning, the House of Commons set to resume its work today in person in Ottawa. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joins us with all the details. Hi, David. Good morning, guys. And yeah, we're still expecting the House to do what they all agreed would happen uh, back on March 13 when they last met at an at a actual in-person sitting in a regular sort of format, and that is sit in person. Um, this has become a big deal, sit in person or sit virtually. Uh, yesterday, the Liberals, the NDP and the Bloc came to a, an agreement to say, okay, we'll meet once a week in person and then do, say, three virtual sittings. Conservatives said, no, hold on, that's not the way we can do business. We're not set up for that sort of thing. For one thing, internet bandwidth in rural and remote parts of Canada, it means some MPs would not really be able to participate. So they would like three in-person sittings, although we could probably negotiate them down to two. In any event, that's where we're at, how many times the, the uh, MPs are gonna meet in person. Trudeau, yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau calling the Conservatives irresponsible and the Conservatives saying baloney. Uh, they can do this responsibly, they say. The Conservatives will only have a handful of MPs show up. All, all the other parties, same thing, just a handful of MPs. And remember, they've done this special sitting with just a handful of MPs twice already, both times to pass emergency legislation. So uh, a lot of back and forth. Politicians are arguing about how they're going to hold the government to account, etc. In any event, I'm sure if they do, in fact, sit in, and that's about 40 minutes away as we're speaking, uh, you know, top of mind, I'm certain, is going to be those events in Nova Scotia. They'll at least stop the fighting for a bit to uh, reflect on what's going on there, because obviously that's the big news in the, in the country right now. I like that. They'll at least stop fighting for a bit. That uh, paints a good picture, David, as what it's going to look like. But physically, are you expecting, I know that you said a handful of MPs uh, from each party, uh, well distanced from one another i'm sure there'll be precautions even though they're in the house yep yeah so so first of all there i think a legitimate concern about the people who support parliamentarians when they meet and that's pages and that's mm -hmm. uh the staff who does the hansard and the protective uh security detail and there are precautions in place already and there have been for a while now to keep them safe when we saw the house sit uh uh what was it about a week ago uh mps are now sitting you know two or th there's two or three empty desks between them so again there's only 30 40 tops mps in a house that can seat 338 uh, the Liberals have been trotting out this idea all weekend that, oh, the Conservatives want to have 338 MPs return. I've never seen anything like that. And the Conservatives say that's uh, malarkey. And in fact, as they say, the Conservatives plan to have probably 10, 12, 15 people uh, in the House, all of them sort of sitting apart. So again, the Conservatives say this can be done safely, responsibly. And again, all parties agree on at least once a week in person. 
with a reduced number. And so the conservatives are saying, well, you can do it once a week. Can you do it twice, three times? I mean, what, what's sort of the big deal? And I think the issue here is, don't forget, the all parties say there is an important account of all opposition parties say there's an important accountability function here. And some of the measures that the uh, government have introduced to uh, deal with the COVID-19 pandemic have been improved by the intervention of the opposition parties. And they say that is the reason parliamentarians ought to get to work. Interesting. We'll be following that for sure. And quickly, before we let you go, just wondering, because I know one of the issues that the federal conservatives wanted to push the government on about the World Health Organization and the degree to which Health Canada yeah. is relying on the WHO's advice. Yes, and, and the conservatives, Canadian conservatives, are nowhere near as critical of the WHO as, say, U.S. President Donald Trump, who we all know is blaming the WHO for not uh, passing on information and has, has withdrawn their funding. Conservatives aren't there yet. They're more like, say, the Australian conservative government or the governing conservatives in the U.K. saying, hey, the WHO's important, but there are legitimate questions about how the Chinese passed information to the WHO, how the WHO passed information to everybody else, what were the steps taken. And there are these are legitimate questions because the WHO plays a big role in advising Health Canada on how can Canadians should uh, deal with this pandemic. So that's just one example from the Conservatives on accountability. The NDP want more universality for some of these relief programs. Just give everybody 2000 bucks, says the NDP, and we'll get it back at uh, tax time. Forget about eligibility. Bloc Québécois, they're worried about seniors. They've got a big crisis in Quebec right now in their long-term care facilities. So you can see there's, there's three issues that the uh, all parties have that, again, uh, that accountability function with the government. Mm. Thank you so much for your time this morning, David. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cheers. That is David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent. And, of course, uh, lots going on uh, in the world as well. Covering uh, off uh, this morning the biggest news story of all, the deadliest shooting in Canadian history in Portapique, uh, Nova Scotia. As uh, David mentioned, they will be addressing that to get things uh, going. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be all coronavirus all the time, I would think. And, uh, you know what? Look, at we, we talk to the mayor every week. Um, the show must go on. And whether or not it's virtual or just a couple of people here and there, the politicians have a lot of work to do, and I'm glad to see this is happening. And, uh, you know, this coronavirus, the pandemic has certainly affected so many local businesses and Owl's Nest Books is most definitely one of them with shops being ordered to close, people staying home. Uh, Christy Weisgerber joins us. She's the operations manager at Owl's Nest Books. Hi, Christy. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. How has this closure, this pandemic affected you and, and your local great bookstore? Um, well, it's sort of been a, a twofold thing. We are still open for uh, online and phone orders. So we're doing curbside pickup and free delivery within the city. But we are, so we're doing as best we can uh, to help folks get them the entertainments they need. But we're also definitely missing all of our in-store interactions, talking with folks here in the store, getting our authors in to do events and signings. And so that's definitely been a bit of a downer for us as well. Bit of a downer because it's such a social atmosphere. And when you can get a ton online, that's what you folks have made your bread and butter on is uh, being social. And those recommendations, that's the tough part, is coming in and talking books. Absolutely. So we have been trying to find um, new ways to give that uh, that kind of connection to our customers. We've been doing for the last several weeks uh, specific recommendations every day on our social media accounts. So this week we're featuring books that are great for guys. Last week was books that were for ladies. Uh, next week will be our nonfiction recommendation. So we're trying to make sure people are still getting that 
that feel of a one-on-one recommendation and connection with us. Our delivery drivers are doing their best to, they drop stuff off and then take uh, a few steps back to give them that six feet and then do try to hang around and say hi and hope everybody's doing well. We're sending out little hope you're well cards with every order as well. You know, Christy, I think it's smart what you're doing. It's it's tough to compete against the big online booksellers as it is on a regular day, but, you know, throw all this in the mix. So it really is necessary that, you know, the small independent businesses learn to pivot and really find a way to focus in on the customer, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've been a little bit blessed in the fact that Amazon has um, de-emphasized books and what they're considering non-essential product. So we are really the only option you have if you want to get something even reasonably quickly. But I think this has also helped focus people a lot on what you have in your community and keeping the stores that are here open as best they can and just supporting local business, which Mm -hmm. is always such a great thing. When you say reasonably, uh, one or two day delivery apparently in in curbside pickup, I could uh, during business hours uh, roll up and and get my read uh, right away. Absolutely. So if we have it in store, uh, we can have it processed for curbside pickup pretty much within 10 minutes. Uh, For delivery, it depends when the order does come in, but we try and get it to you within usually 24 hours. Sometimes it's a little bit closer to 48, just depending on when it comes into the day and uh, where our delivery drivers are at. So It's brilliant because we can't go to the library either. So is the best place, Christy, to go online then to, uh, to for people to get their information and make their orders? Uh, ideally, absolutely. They can go online to our website. It's www.owlsnestbooks.com. And uh, that will get you onto our online store. You can see everything we have in stock, everything that we can order in, uh, approximate times for how long it'll take for orders to come in. Or they can uh, give us a call at 403-287-9557 between 11 and 4, Monday through Saturday. Or they can send us an email at contact at owlsnestbooks.com and we will get to them as quick as we can and do everything we can to help folks get what they need. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Christy. Thank you. That is Christy Weisgerber, uh, Operations Manager at Owl's Nest Books.